Hi, and welcome to Applewood Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. If you are new to our podcast or maybe new to our church in general, none of us have it together, but we're here to worship the one who holds us together, and that is Jesus Christ. We hope that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and strengthens your heart as you continue your walk with Christ. So let's join Pastor Derek for today's message. As we look at the text this morning, we're going to see there's a strong emphasis on baptism. As I was thinking about baptism, there's a lot of confusion in our culture today regarding baptism. For example, why do Christians have to be baptized? Especially we know we're saved by faith and grace. So why do we even need to be baptized? Is it necessary? Another question you might have or been asked is, what's the difference between sprinkling, being sprinkled, or being immersed in water? Does God care about which way it's done? I mean, does it matter to him? What about this question? Can a person truly love Christ and submit to Christ as Lord, but refused to be baptized? Or when is a person supposed to be baptized? Is there an age limit? How do we deal with that? Or... What about being baptized by the Holy Spirit? I mean, we hear that in Scripture. What does that mean, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? Is that a one-time reality, or is that something that happens over and over and over again? Well, as we continue our series through the Gospel of John, we're going to be looking at a text this morning, I'm excited, that answers many, if not all, of these questions. So church, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to be continuing at verse 24 through 34 this morning. John 1, 24 through 34. As you guys are turning there, just want to give some background. We have learned so far, church, we're not even through chapter 1. Think of all that we have learned in a couple weeks. We have learned that Jesus is the Word. He is eternal. He created everything, physical and spiritual. We've seen that John the Baptist has come on the scene. He was a man born miraculously through God, and his, his uh, purpose was to prepare the way. He's a voice calling out in the wilderness. So John the Baptist is on scene, and he's baptizing people who understand they need a Savior and are repenting of their sins. And if John the Baptist is on the scene, we know that Jesus' ministry, his public ministry, is about to begin. And we've seen that John is not shy about his witness. John is not wondering who Jesus is. As this gospel unfolds, John the Baptist is confident Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is 100% fully man and fully God, that he is the one that the Old Testament prophesied. The Word of God is Christ, and he's here, and he's walking among them. We've seen that God was blessing his ministry. So many people were coming to be baptized. Last week, the religious leaders, they sent out a group to investigate who John the Baptist was. They asked him, are you the Messiah? He says, no. Are you Elijah? He says, no. Are you the prophet? He says, no. I'm simply a voice in the wilderness calling out, preparing the way. And we're going to see quickly that the Pharisees, religious leaders, aren't content with that matter. Next, they challenge him, if you are not the Messiah, if you are not Elijah, if you are not a prophet, why then are you baptizing anyone? And John responds to that question. So let's dive in together. John chapter 1, starting verse 24. You can follow along. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, 
Why then are you baptizing if you are not Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel. I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. May God add his blessing to his word. As we dive into this narrative together, we see right away that more messengers are sent. Now the Pharisees send their messengers, and they have a problem with John the Baptist, and they show up to John the Baptist, and they say, what, what authority are you baptizing people, and who are you? Now, the Jews were familiar with baptism at this time. It was a fairly common practice regarding ceremonial cleansing. We get even from the Old Testament. So before John the Baptist showed up, or Jesus shows up baptizing, they were familiar with the idea of being washed. So much so that the Jews, if a Gentile converted to Judaism, the Jews would have them be baptized, wash themselves before they can be a part of the community. But here's what was happening. John wasn't just baptizing Gentiles. He was also baptizing Jews. And this shocked the religious leaders. The Pharisees were like, what, what are you doing? Why are you baptizing? Who are you? I mean, they were shocked. We're God's people. We're Jews. Why are you baptizing these people? What are you doing? And look at verse 26. John the Baptist responds, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, of whom I am not worthy even to untie the strap of his sandal. So as the Pharisees challenge his authority, why are you baptizing people? He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? He doesn't do any of that. What does he do? He deflects any attention to himself. And he says, listen, I'm, I'm nothing. I have limitations. I'm, I'm simply baptizing with water those who are turning from their sin, waiting in faith for the Messiah to come. But he who comes after me is here. He's walking among you. And it is he who I am unworthy to untie his sandals. If you look at this idea of untying the strap of a sandal, washing someone's feet. I mean, this was the lowest, most humble act a person can do. If you read about this, it was an act that only servants or slaves could do for people. It was so humbling that even Jewish teachers who had their disciples that followed them so closely, their disciples got covered by the dust of their feet in a way, but yet those same teachers couldn't ask their disciples to untie their sandal and wash their feet because it was so low. 
only reserved for servants and slaves. And you hear John, the Baptist heart, he says, don't look at me. I am not worthy even to perform the lowest task for Jesus. Verse 29, the next day comes. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day shows up. You see Jesus walking. John the Baptist sees Jesus. And how does John the Baptist respond? He says, behold, look, look, it's the Lamb of God. Using his voice to declare that it is Christ, it is the Word incarnate, that God had sent a lamb. Church, when we read that, many of us are so familiar to that language. We see that Christ was the Lamb of God, that we read that, and it just, yeah, it makes sense. But I want you to think for a second how shocking that would have been, how radical that would have been. For John the Baptist to say to a bunch of Jewish people for centuries had offered sacrificial lambs at the temple as an atonement for sin. For John the Baptist to say, he is the Lamb of God sent from the Father himself. As we study Old Testament, we see that the sacrifice of lambs played a very important role in the Jewish religious life and sacrificial system I mean, so much of their lives revolved around these sacrifices, especially the lamb. Think of the Passover. You remember that story? The Israelites are enslaved. God sends Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, and his heart is hardened time and time again. Finally, the 10th plague, the plague of death, is going to sweep through the land. What does God say? If you believe in me, if you are my people, take a lamb kill a pure lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorpost. When death passes by, if your doorpost is marked by the blood of the lamb, you will live and your firstborn will not die. But not only with Passover, it's amazing because if you study the time of all of this, it's right before the Passover feast. So John the Baptist is saying, here is the lamb of God. But it doesn't just stop with the Passover. We know throughout scripture that every single day in the morning and at night, a lamb was sacrificed in the temple for the sins of people. I mean, think about this. For generation and generation, in the morning and at night, a lamb was killed and the blood was shed. And what John the Baptist says is now, the lamb of God has arrived. He is here. What does he mean by that? John the Baptist, he's referring, he's prophesying. He knows what Christ is about to do. Here, John the Baptist say, the final lamb, the lamb that Abraham and Isaac pointed to, the lamb that the Passover pointed to, the lamb every morning and night that we would kill and shed the blood, it all points to this one, the eternal word, and he is here. No more sacrifices. Why? Because the lamb of God is going to go to the cross and shed his blood once and for all for the sins of the world. I mean, this is what John the Baptist is saying. He's saying it's going to happen. It's here. It's time. And that's exactly what Jesus did. We read Hebrews 9. Church, I encourage you sometime today to go back and read Hebrews 9. But this is what Christ did. He was the pure and spotless lamb. And what did he do? He sacrificed himself on the cross. His blood was shed. He experienced the judgment of God 
satisfied the justice of God, took the wrath of God on his behalf and shed his blood. Why? Damn, because God loves you and there's forgiveness in the blood. Amen, church? And he says one of the most profound theological statements. Most people just glance right over it. He says, this lamb that God sent into the world is going to give his life. And he's going to do what? He's going to take away the sins of the world. No more sacrifices. No more lambs. Think of John the Baptist. His dad was a priest. And John the Baptist is saying to his dad, one day soon, the pure lamb is going to go to the cross. And then it's over. No more sacrifices. Think how awesome this is. I wish I could have been there. Don't you, church? And it's sufficient for all people. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter if you're black and white. The blood of Christ is sufficient to take away the sins for all the world. However, it's a reality only for those who know Christ and trust in the work he accomplished on the cross. What do you mean, Pastor Derek? It's a reality only to those who know Christ as the Lamb who believe by faith and profess him to be Lord and Savior. If that is you, if you see the light, this is a reality. Your sin has been washed away, past, present, and future. You sit here righteous because of this lamb. And what does he say to you? Love me. Love me with all you have. Love me more than your family. Love me more than this world. Love me. I made you righteous. I gave my life. Be bold. What about those who don't know Christ? Here's the reality. When you stand before God, if you're here in person, you don't know Christ. You don't know the Lamb of God. You're watching online. You don't know the Lamb of God. What does the Bible teach? When you stand before God, your sins have not been paid in full. You don't know Christ. Therefore, God's wrath and judgment you are going to experience. Why? Because you rejected his son. Well, Pastor Derek... God's a loving God. He's going to let me in. I'm going to stand before God without believing in Jesus, and he's going to let me in. What do you think that would say to Jesus who's sitting at his right hand to say, Jesus, you died for no reason. Go ahead and come in. Absolutely not. He loves the son too much, and he loves us too much. Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. It's a picture of Christ. They wanted this earthly king. He came as a lamb. And guess what, church? He didn't open his mouth. He went as a sheep to slaughter. Why? Because he loved you. He went to the cross silent. Why? Because he wanted to silence the accuser. So when you stand before God and the devil wants to accuse you as being a sinner, if you're washed by the blood of Christ, Satan can't say a thing. Why? Because you're righteous. He went to the cross in silence so that you can trust and have peace that when you stand before God, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Revelation 5 speaks of this. John gets a glimpse of what worship will be like in heaven. 
And they're saying, who can open the scroll and its seven seals? And he sees, he hears the, the Lion of Judah. And then in Revelation 5, 5, he says, I saw between the throne and the elders a lamb standing as if it slaughtered. God gives John this vision, the end time. Who can open the scroll? He looks up and what does he see? The lamb. And later on in verse 12, what's our worship going to be in heaven? Worthy is what, church? Worthy is the Lamb who is what? Slain. Slain. Wow. Imagine that just shaking the ground in worship and praise. Do you see the Lamb this morning? And notice what John the Baptist says. He says, I know it's true. Look at verse 31. He said, I didn't recognize Jesus at first. I mean, we're cousins, but guess what? John the Baptist said, God told me that one of the people I baptized, when he comes out of the water, the spirit, like a dove, is going to rest upon him. And I will know that he is the Lamb of God. And here, what does John do? He says, it's real. Why? Because it happened. It happened. Not sure why. Disciple John doesn't include that actual narrative of Jesus being baptized in his gospel account, but we know, we read from the other gospels what happened. In Matthew 3, verse 16, after he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him. And behold, a voice from the heaven said, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Let me think about that. John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water, a, a dove like a dove rests on him, and then you hear the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is before Jesus had done anything. If you're in Christ this morning, the moment you were born again, the moment you saw the Lamb and surrendered your life, at that very moment, the same declaration is said over you. This is my son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because of the Lamb of God. May we walk in that reality, church. And what he says, I have seen and testify that Jesus is the Son of God. John the Baptist. There's clarity and there's conviction the Lamb of God is here. It is true. And God even opened John the Baptist's eyes through this experience to see and testify who Jesus is. He is the Lamb of God, the Son of God. As we look at this narrative, there's really two biblical realities I want to focus on this morning. There's a lot in this narrative that we could talk about. But there's two I just want to focus on and prepare our hearts as we come to the table and celebrate the Lamb of God and His blood being shed this morning. The first biblical reality is that in order to know Christ, if you surrender your life to Christ, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, and it happens that moment you accept Jesus Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is crucial for salvation, and it happens at salvation. And the second biblical reality is we respond, his children, by being baptized in water by immersion. 
as a response to our salvation and being baptized by the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about those two realities quickly this morning. The first is the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs at salvation. Part of John's testimony is he looks ahead and he says, this Lamb of God, I baptize you with water, but Jesus is going to come and he's going to do what? He's here and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to defeat death and he's going to send his Holy Spirit to dwell in the lives and hearts of believers. What does this mean? To be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about this. This helper. That he's going to send a helper if you trust in Jesus Christ. That his spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that was available even at creation. Now gets to dwell in the life of the believer at conversion. When you accept Jesus Christ, you are baptized with his spirit. And his spirit comes and lives and dwells inside of you and me. Jesus talked about this in John 14. Verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. That helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be what church? In you. Jesus is foreshadowing this time. Acts 2, the church is born, where the Holy Spirit will be placed in the life of his children through salvation. And we see this in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus was leaving, and he says this, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with what church? The Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Jesus speaks of this moment, and he tells his disciples, the followers, to stay in Jerusalem and wait, because this helper is coming. And we learn in Scripture, in Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit comes and now dwells in the life of the believer. And the church is born. And now we are the temple. In church, any new believer after Acts 2, which includes all of us and those watching, any new believer after Acts 2, if your eyes are open to the Lamb of God at conversion, when you are regenerated and you get a new heart, the Holy Spirit is placed inside of you. And that is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It happens once at conversion. Well, what are some realities of that? We see in Scripture... When this happens, that we are now sealed with the Holy Spirit as well. His Spirit comes inside of us, and we can't unseal ourselves. Look at this. Paul reading to the church in Ephesians chapter 1. He says this. In him also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise who is the first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. This is awesome. What is God saying? If you believe in him, then what happens? He places his spirit in you. And we're what, church? Sealed for the day of redemption. You can't unseal yourself. Well, Pastor Eric, what about in the Old Testament? I mean, Saul, the spirit came upon Saul and then left Saul. New covenant, the church is born. You can't unseal yourself of the Holy Spirit. It seals us per permanently. So not only are we sealed, but another reality is we become a part of the church at that moment of salvation. 
Paul writing to the church in Corinth, chapter 12, verse 11. I want to read this. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For just as the body is one and yet many parts, and all the parts of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also in Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Notice Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He's saying we're all baptized into one spirit. And at that moment, what happens? You become a part of the church at salvation through his Holy Spirit. This isn't something that happens down the road. What is Paul saying? The moment you accept Jesus Christ, you at that moment now are baptized into the church, the body. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, or made to drink of one spirit. It happens at conversion. We're sealed. We become a part of the church at that moment. We don't have to try to earn our way and then trust God for a, a second baptism or another baptism. No, that's not theologically sound. But what else does this do? What's another reality of being baptized by the Holy Spirit? It empowers us to die to ourselves and live for God. Church, hear me on this. Romans 8.13, Paul says, For if you are living in accord with the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. God has placed His Spirit in us. So what? We can die to our flesh. We can die to ourselves. And we can live fruitful lives. When does that happen? At conversion. Or else we don't have a chance to live for Him. But he places the Spirit inside of us. Therefore, there's victory. Whatever you're struggling with today, guess what? You can overcome. How? Not by self-will, but because of God's Spirit inside you in the blood of Jesus. We celebrate that. Church, we walk in this reality. Are there ups and downs? Yes. Do we all stumble? Yes. We all fall short, but we're sealed with the Spirit at conversion. We're baptized by the Spirit at conversion. We become a part of the global church. And now we have His power inside of us that we can overcome our flesh and live for Him, for His kingdom. Church, beware of anyone teaching otherwise. There's so much heresy regarding the Holy Spirit outside these doors. And it's going to come into Applewood. It has and it will continue. And guess what? Fight for truth. The Bible interprets by the Bible. What do you mean by that, Pastor Derek? We have scripture. Well, what does it sound like? Beware of anyone coming into your homes or into the church that preaches believers receive the Holy Spirit at a time different from salvation. Be careful of that. Beware of those who come into your living room or the church and argues that the Holy Spirit comes upon people in stages multiple times where Brother Brad accepts the Lord and he gets a little bit of the Spirit and then he needs to pray for more of the Spirit and another baptism of the Spirit. Reject that. That's not biblically sound. We... We, when we accept Jesus Christ and the Lamb, we are filled with the sufficiency of the Scripture. We don't need more baptism of the Spirit. You know what we do? We need to die and let the Spirit have more control of us. Amen? Getting excited up here, church. Beware of those coming in your living room in our church preaching that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is only for a special elite group of Christians, Missy. 
and pray about it, and maybe it will happen to you, and you can join the club. Be careful of that. So I was preparing this sermon. I was thinking about the first church I served in. We were doing college ministry, and God was moving, and people were coming. Never forget a young man who came through the doors, and he was convinced of this, and started telling all of us during coffee and when we hang out and at, at Bible study that you needed to receive a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, that you need to have a special anointing, a special measure of it. And of course, those that preach that, they're always the one who've received it, right? Hey, if you could be like me, that's what they're saying. I remember many of us, we didn't know what to do with him. We're kind of confused. Discernment is be able, being able to tell right from almost right. I remember just seeing the ripple effect of just this theology kind of go through our college group. Some got really upset at him. Some got really confused. Others immediately wanted to join him and kind of flocked to him and surrounded him. And at a young age, I was forced with this idea of trying to get into the Word and figure out, okay, what does the baptism of the Holy Spirit really mean? And I met with my mentor, and we got into the Word. And Scripture is clear. It doesn't lie. That baptism of the Holy Spirit, what? Comes once at conversion. And there was such a peace. Once a person is saved, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. But then Jesus commands them, us, to be baptized with water as the first act of obedience. This is the second baptism that's important. And we are commanded to be baptized by water as a response to our salvation. We look at the narrative. What's so amazing is that Jesus was baptized by immersion. As an example for all of us, the text says he came out of the water. That Jesus was baptized to demonstrate his own submission and obedience to God's plan. And he did this before his public ministry. Jesus modeled it, and he commands us to do it. In Matthew 28, he says, there, Go, therefore, make disciples of what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What I love about this narrative is we serve a king who commands us to do things that he was willing to do. I mean, we live in a day and age right, day and age right now where governors and politicians, they command every, all of us to do things, but they're, they're not willing to do it. And it's comical. Like, the rules apply to us, but not you. But here's the good news. Even in our text, we serve a king. Guess what, church? Everything he tells you and I to do, he did. What do you mean by that? Think about it. He tells you to love your enemies. Why? Because he did. He tells you to pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because he did. Tells you to lay your life down for the kingdom. How can he say that? Because he modeled it and did. He tells you to store up treasures in heaven where moss and rust can't destroy. destroy. Guess what? He did. And he says, get baptized and baptize others. Why, church? Because he did. He commands us to do it as a response to our saving faith. It has nothing to do with our salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. But as a response to salvation, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, the first act of obedience is to be baptized. The thief on the cross, he couldn't. Some can't be immersed. I understand that. 
Praise the Lord that our salvation is in Christ alone. But if you look at this Greek word, baptizo, it literally means to be immersed. Why? Why is that so important? Well, Pastor Derek, you're Baptist. It's what you believe. No. What does it say in the Bible? What does it say in the Bible? What's the biblical example in Scripture of baptism? And why do we, why do we get immersed in the water? Why are we baptized then? We see that this is an opportunity for believers to publicly confess Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. I mean, this is, this is amazing. In the baptistry, what do we ask people? Who are you trusting in for your salvation? And what do they say? Jesus? No. Yes, confidently. We just baptized 19. That was awesome. Who are you trusting? Jesus Christ. Let's go. I'm not ashamed. In a world that cancels us out, writes us off, that we're not ashamed. Think of Jesus' words. I say to you, everyone who confesses me before people, the Son of Man will also confess him before the angels of God. Baptism is a way to just publicly profess you're not ashamed of your Savior. Not only is it a public confession, but also it symbolizes his death, burial, and resurrection. Just like the Lord's table in a moment, it symbolizes his body being broken and his blood being shed. Baptism is symbolic. Well, what is this symbolic of, Pastor Derek? Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Paul answers this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. There's symbolism of going in the water, buried in the water, likeness of his what, church? death, but we don't keep them there that long, do we? No. Just like Jesus rose from the dead, we bring them out of the water, symbolizing what? Life. The blood of the Lamb gave His blood, so you don't have to fear death anymore. Not COVID, not a car accident, nothing. We do not fear death. Why? Because of the resurrection and baptism symbolizes that symbolizes that we have been cleansed. Titus 3 says this, He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with His mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Why do we baptize by immersion? It's a biblical pattern. And it's symbolic. What do you mean it's symbolic? We see the biblical pattern. Faith then baptism. Faith, then baptism. Baptism by the Holy Spirit, then baptism by water. This is the pattern all throughout Scripture. Well, I don't believe it, Pastor Derek. Well, think of Peter's first sermon after the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2. <laughs> what does Peter say? He preaches the gospel. And he said, Jesus lived, died, rose again. He says, repent, receive this word, and do what? Be baptized. Peter's first sermon in Acts, believe and then be baptized. In Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip taught him the scripture, taught him the scripture. 
And in verse 36 of chapter 8, they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what presents me from being baptized? And he ordered that the chariot stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. He believed, and then he was baptized. Acts 16 with the jailer. Verse 30, he brought them out and he said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him together with all who were in his house. He took them that very hour, the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Faith, then, baptism. We take this serious at Applewood because the Bible takes it serious. There's a lot of theology that goes into it. Scripture interprets Scripture. Now I know some have never been baptized. Just maybe they didn't understand. Maybe you don't understand. I hope this morning you can kind of understand the theology behind it. And I know others just can't be immersed physically or whatever. Praise the Lord, your salvation's in Christ. But my question to all of you here and all of you watching, have you experienced both baptisms? Have you seen the Lamb of God? Have you confessed Him to be Lord? And have you received new life, regeneration through the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And as a response to that work, have you been baptized? by immersion in water to profess your love for the Lamb. The Word of God to the people of God for the glory of God.